It's lovely to be part of the family of God, hey, to feel that connection. This is uh, family time. This is a time where we get together and enjoy our love with one another and, and the love that Jesus is. You know, this is, the, this is the family that will outlast your blood family. When your blood family is all gone and you die, you'll meet your family in heaven and we're part of that family. So that's the wonderful thing about it. Get used to your brothers and sisters. You're going to spend some time with them. So we've been talking, we started last week uh, and I introduced the whole theme for the year last week which was incarnating Christ. Incarnating Christ is reflecting the character of Jesus through our lives so that when people look at us, they look at what we do, they look at the way we behave, they look at the way we think, they, they look at our habits, they look at, look, look at the way we act in, in, in difficult situations and what they can see by our response and by the way we live they can see a reflection of Jesus in our lives. That's what we mean by incarnating Christ. We're becoming more like Jesus and giving him a bodily expression in our lives so that people can see something of Jesus in our lives. Now, if you saw me before I was saved, you would not recognize me now. I was, I, I, the fact that I might look the same, but we act completely differently. It's like one has died and a new one has come. And that new person, that new person isn't like the new Mark. It's like Jesus. And Jesus is living and expressing his life through my life. So we want to talk today and start a new series with this whole idea of incarnating Christ. But we're incarnating Christ and we're looking at staying power. Now, staying power is that ability to persevere in difficult times, that ability to keep on going when you know, everybody else would quit. When, when things are very, very hard and it's getting very, very tough and you really want to stop and there's a lot of pain happening in your life, oftentimes it's the, what we do at those very difficult times in life that shows whether we really can reflect Christ or not. So we're talking about staying power today. And we're, we're going to go to a passage in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. And we're going to look, and this is going to be our text for today. It says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter, or the author and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you do not grow weary and lose heart. The Bible says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, and sat down at the right hand of God. And I ask, oftentimes say, why could Jesus go through the really tough stuff that he went through? How could he keep on going? His eyes were set somewhere else. I mean, he came from eternity, and he was going back to eternity. He came with a mission in his heart. He came with a focus in his life. And so when things got very tough, he was well aware that they were going to get tough and extremely tough, that they were going to kill him. And he kept his eyes focused on the joy of of finishing the task and sitting down beside his father. Of course, he will accomplish salvation for all mankind. He would have uh, paid the cost for all of our sin. He would have done all that. That's part of the cross. But he kept his eye past the hardship to the time when he would sit down at the right hand of the father, when the job would all be completed. And that caused him joy. He said, you know, there's a time coming when it'll all be over. There's a time coming when I'll be in sweet union back with Father God again, and when I'll sit on the right hand of Father God, and the job will have been done. And I'm going to keep my eye on that. And that was the thing that carried him through. He endured the cross. He despised the shame of it because he knew what he had to do. We have to learn to incarnate that sort of life that Jesus wants us to live. So we're talking today about perseverance versus giving up. So perseverance is the word that means you keep on going and you keep on keeping on going when everything else in you says, stop, it's enough, it's enough, it's enough. You just keep on going. That's perseverance. It deals with suffering. Perseverance deals with this idea that you're going to encounter suffering in your life and you're going to have to live a life of faith knowing that the certainty of victory if you keep on going. And there's a passage of Scripture in Galatians 6 verse 9 that Liz uh, uh, um, referred to today and it says this, and Let us not become weary in doing good. Otherwise, he says, persevere, keep on persevering, doing the good thing. For at the proper time you will reap a harvest if you do not 
give up. Now, I, I go back in my life, and I think in the past, I, I wearied myself in doing the wrong things. A lot of people weary themselves in doing the wrong thing. You know, well, we think we might uh, just go and have some fun. And so we spend a whole lot of money having a whole lot of fun. And it doesn't actually achieve the thing that we're looking for. Oh, yeah, we have momentary times of high expressions of excitement and stuff like that. And it's all very great. And we have great photos and great memories. And, but, but when we sit alone and we think about it, we have this dead feeling on the inside that isn't being quenched. It's like this emptiness that is inside us. So we have to go out again and fill ourselves up. And the more we fill our lives with the fun of the things that are around us, the less it seems to fill us. I mean, that's the, the, the thing with drug addiction. You start with a little, and you get a little bit of a head spin, and you think, oh, yeah, that's okay. But that's not enough. You know, we've got to go something else, something a little bit stronger. You know, oh, that's really good stuff. You've got to go further. You've got to go until it's not enough. It's not enough. I've got to be living this completely out of myself all the time. And it's still not enough. So we weary ourselves in doing wrong. And Jesus says, come unto me. All you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn of me, and you'll find rest. He, he knows you're going to weary yourself in, in, in doing bad stuff. And so when we come to Jesus, we say, oh, thank you, Jesus. And we feel the fullness of his Holy Spirit as he comes in, and he cleanses from our sins, and we get that sense of elation, a sense of, oh, completeness, a sense of, oh, I'm at that place. I'm at that place. Oh, this never ends. And guess what? It, it ends. It ends. The, the, the top comes off the top and all of a sudden hearts. We, we, we didn't expect, we thought everything was going to be perfect for now. Father Christmas was going to be there for us. He was going to solve everything. We are like the seed that falls into the ground. That, that many springs up because it's so happy that Jesus is there. And then the sun of reality comes out. And when the sun of reality burns down on the seed, because we are shallow in our experience with God, we wither and die. There's no depth in us. We want to start this new life and we want this new life to keep on going. We don't want to have any, have any problems with this new life. And as soon as some problems start to arrive in our new life, we start to feel the pain of what it's like to live in perseverance. Even though it's not the way we'd very much like it to be, still Jesus is present with us, but we find it very hard to bring Jesus into our situations because our feelings and our emotions and the things that we are feeling on our, have taken root in the circumstances around us and not in eternity and we can then get our sense of, oh, this is horrible and we think that's real. We think that because we feel bad that things are really bad. We think that our feelings are telling us the truth, where our feelings don't tell us the truth. They just tell us what's happening at this particular point of time in your life. They don't tell us the reality of the circumstances. You can't see the angels. You can't see Jesus. You can't see everything that really is in the spiritual world happening around. All you can feel is the things that you're feeling. And then someone can come and give you $100 and the feelings change straight away. And all of a sudden, everything that you felt beforehand has just gone out the window and you're feeling something different now. So how real was that? It's just not real. So we get this thing that Proverbs talks about in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12. It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But the desire fulfilled is a tree of life. And we, and we hinge our, the tree of life feeling happy and good and stuff with, on stuff going our way in our Christian walk. You know, if stuff is going our way in our Christian walk, then we can feel like the tree of life is with us and we are fulfilled and it's all happy. But hope deferred, well, we get really sick. We get a sick heart. We get disappointed. We get disillusioned. So many people leave churches because they, their eyes are on the pastor of the church or the people in the church and they, they get disappointed by what's happening in the congregation. And so they oh, this is not a very nice congregation. And rather than being part of the solution to fix the thing up and to work with it, to, to work to provide something healthy, they get their eyes off what they're meant to be doing and onto the circumstances and they get disillusioned. Their heart grows sick. So they go to another church and they have a honeymoon time at the other church and everything. They get this wonderful experience like, oh, I found a new church. It's lovely. Listen, listen. It won't take long. The wheels will fall off. That's just human life. You know, it's life. Hope deferred. If your hope is premised in the here and now, 
The anchor of your soul will be tossed around. Your hope has to be anchored in, in heaven, in Jesus, so that it doesn't matter what the storms of life are doing, you are secure in him. So we are prone to take matters into our own hands when we, lo- hands when we, lose, um, when we lose hope in situation, we get a lo- disillusioned. You know, we, it, you know we, things aren't the way we'd like them to be in church, so we decide to, we, we're, we're going to ma- change things. You know, or we're going to talk about it, we're going to get that person not doing that, and we, we're trying to do some you know, sneaky stuff in church to try and fix things up. Or we scheme and we reason how, you know, if, if so-and-so was doing something different, then it would be different, you know. And, and, and so our mind starts to go in this sort of rubbish, you know. And that's the trap. That's the trap. Perseverance is about handling and processing time when things are tough. So when you're going through some th- difficult situation, it usually is a prolonged period of time. And in that time, you have to develop skills. It's a disciplined approach to developing skills and the application of those skills and the application of a good focus when you're under, under stress. That's what perseverance takes. It takes the development of skills and, and the development of focus when you're under stress. So what are you waiting for? Are you waiting for an answer to specific prayer? That's usually what happens. I mean, how many people are believing for something? Put your hand up if you're believing for something. Put your hand up if you've got something on your prayer chart that says this is what I'm believing for put your hand up okay here's here's the problem when you put yourself out like that and you ask for something when you don't get it you feel like you haven't got something so I mean Jesus says uh, you, you, you haven't asked therefore you haven't got but those who have asked who've got something in their mind they say I'm, I'm believing God for subject you're in a problem if you haven't asked you're not you're not pushing any boundaries. You're quite happy where you are. Well, you might not be happy where you are, but you're just not going to put yourself out there. But somebody's asked, they say, if only, God, if only you would touch my body and heal me completely, then everything would be okay. Oh, God, if only you would change this person in my life, my job situation, my finances. If only you could take me from my situation and place me, then everything will be fine. And we start off when we listen to somebody preach on faith and naming and claiming and we hear somebody say, uh, you know, speak to the mountain. And so we start speaking to the mountain. But there is a process of time that takes place by which we start to be worn down by. Because perseverance is a matter of dealing with time. So if we could claim it and name it and it's three weeks later we get it, well, we're fine, but it's usually we confessing it and we're speaking to the mountain and we're looking at it and we're enduring and then we're we're going through hardship and the same thing remains there and it's not just one year it's not two years it's not three years it's not four years it's 10 years now nothing's changed and we start to feel well how long am I going to struggle with this thing how long is this going to be on my life how long am I going to be in this situation why is God allowing this to be in my life why, why the, and then we begin to become heavy laden with the thing that we're believing for there's a trap set for us when we believe for something there's a trap set for us and the devil knows what it is you know, we, we don't like waiting for things that we ask God for we, we want things instantly that's part of our society. You understand that our society is sort of instant, instant answers to everything. You know, everything is fast and speedy, you know. We look for the internet that has the, the quickest, fastest space so we can have instant internet access to the things that we want. We can instantly download the game that we want to play. We can instantly download the movie. We don't want to have to be sitting down and waiting for those photos to download that are coming from overseas. And we sit there and the thing's going, you know, another 20 minutes before the photo is downloaded. And there's 50 photos waiting to download. We, sit, we want it there now. Give it to me now. We want it now. We, want to, we don't want to wait for a long, long time to grow our veggies. We don't want to sit like... Um, like Phil and grow veggies in the back garden and sit and wait for three months before the tomatoes get up there. We want to have instant tomatoes. We go down and buy fresh tomatoes from that cheap. Why would you bother growing them? We, 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 we look at a time, we say, give it to me now. What I want it is now. And yet we have to wait in society. You know, I have to. When I become a teenager, I can't wait till I'm 13. When I'm 13, I can have my Facebook account. <laughs> oh, I can't wait till I'm 16. When I'm 16, mum says I can have a phone. 
I'm going to push the limits until. You know, I want my iPod. I can't wait until I get to high school. When I get to high school, I'll get out of primary school, get to high school. I can't wait four years, five years of high school. Oh, and then I go to university. Oh, we wait all the time for things. I can't wait till I grow up and I can get married. You, silly person, you. If only I could turn back to time. I think there's a song. If I could turn back time. Yeah, yeah, we won't go there. But anyway, (laughs) listen, we have to wait all the time. You get your first car loan, it's five years. You wait and pay it off. You get your house loan, it's 30 years. You wait and you pay it off. I can't wait till I retire. And you wait and the government keeps on shifting it to... (laughs) I might retire when I'm 50. No, I can't do that now. It's 75 now. Hey, listen, in Jesus, I never retire. Amen? You're always on the job. The reality is that we wait all the time. So there's something happening in our lives that stops the waiting from being a process of, okay, expectation, joyful expectation, something's coming, I'm going to read. Something happens and it's to turn the waiting into a probably, probably a thing of dreariness, of pain and of, of suffering. So that the way, and usually it's because there's no dead end time. You know, like, I, like in three years' time, I will, I'll be able to get my license, you know. And then, you know, and then at three years after the three, you, you turn 16 and nine months or whatever, and you're able to get, start getting your license, and mum and dad have to drive you around, for, or you have to drive mum and dad around for the next five years just to get your hours up. You know, it's like all of that sort of, you wait, but the time comes, and then it's achieved. And then, you know, after you've got your license there, you're driving around in your car, you know, you get your peas, red peas on, and then you, one more year, and I can have my green peas, you know. And you, and you get, oh, now I have my open license, I'm a big boy, you know, I drive around without my peas, you know. You know, we wait all the time, but because there's a deadline, we're able to handle that. The trouble with God, when you ask God for something, you say, can you do it for me? And he says, yep. Oh, well, I've been waiting how long now? Oh, my name's Abraham. Oh, you're going to give me a son? Okay. Okay. I'll do what I have to do, God. You do what you have to do. Guess what? Nothing happens. Nothing happens. So, you know, he takes it into his own hands and gets a guy called Hagar, and a girl called Hagar. And I, he takes it into his hands to try and fix up the problem because we often do that, don't we? When we get in those situations where we have to persevere and we can't wait, we usually take it into our own hands. Because there's no deadline. You see, there's no deadline. God didn't tell you when. He just said, wait. He didn't tell you when it was going to come. He just said, wait for it. It's coming. Wait for it. So there's a trap set. So what causes the discontent and the desire to quit when we need to persevere? Well, hope deferred makes the heart sick. We don't have that thing and we're just left waiting. We don't know if we're going to get it at all. We don't know whether it's coming at all. So the discontent is caused when we take our eyes off the giver And the desire and the gift becomes the focus of our attention. It becomes the idol. Now, this is an interesting thing. I want healing in my body. This is a a figurative thing. That's what I'm believing for. And yet, if the healing becomes the idol that I'm seeking, then God's not going to give it to me. He has to be the giver And the gift he gives. But when the gift becomes the idol, I begin to speak poorly of the giver if I haven't got the gift. It's like a child. When I take a child into, I'll take one of my granddaughters, say, uh, maybe maybe take Max, and I'll say, Max, you know, um, what would you like today when I go go shopping with you? And Max would say, oh, maybe, maybe like a chocolate, because kids, Papa feeds chocolate to them. Got to get kisses some way. So, and, and I'll go around the whole shop and I'll build up all the groceries and stuff like that and, and, and I have not bought the chocolate for Max. So Max can get an attitude to it, toward me. Papa, it's unfair. You're not buying me the chocolate. And so his attitude towards me, the, the one who supplies the gift, 
gets somewhat soiled because he hasn't got what he wants. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. In a, in a simple, in an exercise of walking around the shopping centre, he hasn't done this to me, this is just an illustration. In the exercise of walking around the shopping centre, he has changed from, Daddy, Papa, I love you, to, Papa, you're not giving me what I want and I'm going to throw a tantrum on the floor. You see, what's happened is, the gift became the idol in his life. It became the focus of his life. And so that the gift was the end all of everything. Not the giver of the gift, but the gift became the center of his focus. And that's when we get discontent. That's when we get discontent. God, I'm praying and I'm believing for a husband. I want a husband. I want someone to love me and hold me. And he's cousin. Well, I'd like a wife. But if, it was, uh, if you're a woman, I want a husband. Somebody to hold me and give me babies. I, I'm getting too old. I want babies in my life. I want kisses and cuddles from babies. Everybody else around here has got babies. What are you doing, God? You don't love me. Why are you withholding babies from me? And we get upset. We get extremely upset because we don't get the gift. The giver is still there. The giver is still able to supply. The giver has not changed his love toward us. The giver has just not provided the gift to us. So what's your desire? Is it your career? Is it your job? Is it your, a person, a particular person with a particular way? Is it, does your person have to be a Christian? You know? does the, are you believing for a Christian wife or a Christian husband? You, know? you've, you've, you prayed for them and prayed for them and prayed for them and they're still not giving their lives to Jesus. You know, and it's like, whoa, God, all the stuff that I'm going through, why aren't you doing this for me? How long do I have to live in this broken home, feeling so alone? It goes that way. And we feel the pain. And listen, those emotions that we feel at those times of duress are extremely difficult to handle because they register in us as pain. And we are feeling extreme pain, alienation and pain alone and isolated. Isolated from God because we made the gift the center of our focus and not God. And isolated from the people around us because we are discontent in our situation. It's beginning to eat our guts out. And we say, I don't know how long I can take this anymore. I don't know how long I can live like this anymore. I think I'm going to have to quit. And the devil sows some lies into our heads at those times of discontent. The devil sows some ideas into our minds that build that idea of discontent. He says, you know, you cannot really be happy unless there's a man who's going to be the head of your house who's a Christian. You can never really be happy unless God provides you a man to give you a baby. You can never really be happy in life unless you've got a job that's going to give you, you know, 80,000 plus a year. You can never really be happy unless you've got a car like their car. You can never really be happy in life unless you've reached some place of education or you have some level of intelligence so you can compare yourself. Unless your OP score was higher than or lower than, whatever, you can never really be happy. That's what he tells us. And we believe it because we feel it. We feel the unhappiness surging through our lives. We feel it so much. And we sit there and we begin, Glum, come on now, let's go. No, I can't go out. Why? I'm just feeling a little bit sad. Why? Oh, you wouldn't understand. And we sit and we cry and we weep and we howl and we moan and we carry on. And we make everybody around us feel very, very terrible because we don't have the thing that we want. And Jesus is not giving it to us. He tells us that our significance is contingent on a certain group of people liking us or loving us or somebody significant. You know, know, some kids, they grow up and all they want is their daddy to say that they've done well. That's all they want. All their lives they grew up with a critical daddy who who wasn't ever going to say, I love you and I care about you and you did well. Never wanted to. So all their lives they're searching for some bloke to come up and say, you know what, you've done really well. I love you. I care about you. You've done a good job. Well done. And you know what? They never get it because their whole life they live in with people who got to be adequate, competent to be approving of you, you know, and you never get it. And the devil sold you like, you can never really be happy unless somebody looks at you and looks at you square in the eye and says, you know what, you're a good one. You just did that really well. I'm glad. We know it's good to have that in the body of Christ to encourage one another like that, and that's fine, and we feel good about that. 
But if you've got that in your spirit and you never, re- you, and then your daddy dies and he can never talk to you again, whoa, you've got a huge vacuum that will never be filled then. Never be filled if that's what you're looking for. So when we decide to quit, we commit two great sins. When things get really, really tough and you say, you know what, I've had enough now, I can't go any further. This is it. I'm going to quit now. I'm going to pull the pin. I'm out of here. I'm leaving the job. I'm not taking that nonsense from that boss anymore. I'm out of here. Or I'm leaving the school. It's just too unrealistic what the demands are here. Or I'm leaving this marriage. I can't stand what's going on in this marriage any longer. I'm I'm out of here. I'll just go and get another one. There's two great sins. And these are the two great sins. We found them in Jeremiah. Jeremiah tells us about these two great sins. Jeremiah says, Be astonished, O heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be very desolate, says the Lord. So this is God speaking. For my people have committed two evils. And then he explains what the two evils are. He says, They have forsaken me, and then he describes who he is, the fountain of living waters, and have hewn themselves or cut out for themselves cisterns. And a cistern is a big, a cistern is a big bowl that holds water. They have cut out for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. So the two great big sins. The first is they have forsaken God. And that's usually what we do when we shift our focus from the giver of the gift to the gift. That's the forsaking. You know, what's the most important thing? All I want to be is healed. And I don't know why Jesus won't heal me. And then when I get to, well, how can I, how can I believe that God, there's a God in heaven? I've asked him and he doesn't do it for me. So why should I believe in him anymore? You know, and God is God, hey. He's God. He's sovereign God. So he can heal you and he can heal you in a split second or he can make it wait for a while or he can let you die without being heal- you healing you. He doesn't change his statement of God. He's still God. You just got to get with the, are you going to keep God in your focus or are you going to get the gift, the healing that you want in your focus? You're praying for a, for a spouse to be converted, for your children to be converted. For some situation, for, for God to bring a person into your life that's going to bring some fulfillment to your life, give you a, a happy family or whatever. You're looking for it, you're praying for it. And then when it doesn't happen, you shift your focus from, you forsake God, you, you stop believing that God can do something, that He's able, that He's in, at work at the situation. You take your eyes off God and you shift it onto the circumstances and situations about you and you get disgruntled with what you see. You get unhappy with what you see. You're disillusioned with what you see. And then you begin to start saying things like, you know, well, you know why should we continue on? You know, look, God's not in this. And we forsake God. And then we decide we're going to do something to fix up the situation. We hew, we make a system, something to satisfy our needs with our own hands. Well, all I need is I need some care in my life, so I'm just going to go and get it. I'm going to go and get the care from somewhere else. I'm not waiting for God to provide the person. I'm going on to the Facebook thing that says, you know, find a mate. And I'm going to start looking for all those people that I think look nice and trendy. And I'm going to start sending emails out to them left, right and centre to find out who's doing what. I'm going to find out what's happening in there. I'm going to sort it out and I'm going to find my mate for myself. Now, God can be involved in that, I suppose. God can, God can sort that out for you, I suppose. You might leave one church and go to another church to see if you can find your mate. God, but God can bring them here. God can, you can meet somebody. But when you start to try and do it yourself, not only do you forsake God, but you, 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 you try and build the thing that is going to satisfy you, try and build it with your own hands. And this is what God says. This is taking matters into our own hands to deal with the pain because we don't have something. Psalm 106, I love the Psalms because the Psalms are very real. Psalm 106, verse 13 to 16. This is what God said happened. 
Then soon, they soon forgot his works. This is they're forsaking God. This is the children and the, the Israelites of, in, in, as they were traveling from Egypt to the promised land. Remember, they're going into the desert. They come through all these amazing things that God, God did. They travel through the Red Sea. They get onto the peninsula. They're caught. Pharaoh's army's coming up behind. Who's watched the, Ex- the Exodus on the, on the movies? Latest, yeah. It's not really the bit. Anyway. Nice though. Anyway, they get to the thing and, and, then, and then God opens the Red Sea for them. They walk together on dry ground. Oh, this is, you, you can actually find, this is archaeologically established now. You can actually find this thing. Yeah, uh, I, I read, uh, I listened to, to one comment by, um, um, what's that geographical, what's it, organization? National Geographic, and they had an article on the Exodus. Did it really happen? And of course, because they are all into into evolution, of course they can't. There's no evidence of it, and, and so that whole thing was. I thought silly people. They don't know now that we found the Mount Sinai, and they found all the things that they found over the, over in Arabia, and that it's all quite establishes. You know, this is actually so. God opens it up. He leads them to onto dry ground, and on, and, and he gets to the other side. He provides water for them when there's no water. He provides food for them when there's no food. He provides meat for them when there's no meat. He does everything for them. He's looking after them. He's there. His presence is there in the daytime, and his presence is there at the nighttime. In the daytime, there's a cloud, a pillar that they're following by day, and at nighttime, it turns to, to a fire by night. And, and there's evidence of God's presence with them the whole time. Amazing. Amazing. Everything, everywhere they look, they can see God's handiwork around them. And yet the psalm said, they soon forgot his works. It's like you see this on a daily basis. You see God doing something on a daily basis and, they, and you forget his works. You soon forget his works. They did not wait for his counsel. So they soon forgot his works. So they have all these things. Every day they're grinding up food. Every day manna is on the table. Every day they got some quail meat. Every day they're drinking from the water that's coming from the split rock. And they forget. They forget God. They hear in the midst of the they look at in the midst. God. They did not wait for his counsel. And you know why they don't wait for your counsel? Because they don't want to hear what God has to say if God is not going to give them what they want now. And how often is that? So you know, God's not giving you what you want. And you say, well, let's go and seek the Lord and just come and pray about it. You know, I don't want to seek the Lord anymore about it. I don't want to pray about it anymore. I don't want to seek his counsel. He's not talking to me. I want what I want and I want it now. And, and, we, and we, 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 we just push God aside. We put him out there into orbit somewhere else. And we go to seek the thing that we want. Because the Bible says, but they lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tested God in the desert. Now what that means is that when they didn't get what they want, they begin to get stronger and stronger emotional lust for it. I want it, I want it. They dismissed God, weren't content whether God had taken them or where he was leading them, and they just wanted what they wanted. And you know what the Bible says? It says here, it says, and he gave them their request. He gave it to them. He gave them the thing that they wanted. And then it says, but he sent leanness into their soul. And the reason why he sent leanness into their soul, because they had neglected the one that gave them the sense of nourishment to their soul. They rejected rejected God, so God was out there. So they had their thing, but they weren't happy with their thing any longer because once they got their thing, they had recognized inside there was a leanness inside. That thing was not going to satisfy. It was like a cistern that would not hold the water. They weren't getting satisfaction from the thing that they wanted. The gift is never going to be as satisfying as the giver of the gift. Once you got the gift, if you got the gift by getting it by your own means, you're never going to be as satisfied as if it come from the giver. The giver must stay, stay the centre of your life. Perseverance is all about the skill of focusing in the waiting, in the wilderness with his unanswered prayer. Focusing in the waiting. So when things get really, really difficult, 
That's when the play is on for your focus. What's your, where, where is your mind? Where's your mind situated? Where, where's your focus? What are you looking at? Are you looking at the hardship and not having, the lack and, and the pain that that's causing, the, the difficulties that you're going through in life? Or are you looking at Jesus? Job said, and now Job is the greatest example of this sort of persistence. Job said, he said, though he slay me, yet will I praise him. So his wife, he's lost everything. He's sitting on a pile of ashes and he's scraping the boils on his flesh with a piece of broken pot pottery. He's, he's been a very, very wealthy man, a very influential judge. He's been an incredible man in his, in his, in his prime. Now he's, he's lost everybody. His wife is there, but he's lost everything and he's sitting on a pile of ashes and his body is covered with boils. So he's in a very serious situation. But he never shifted his focus from God. That's what God knew about Job. He says, have you considered my servant Job? The very words, have you considered my servant Job, are built upon the fact that God knew that Job's focus was unbending. Nothing would change his focus. So he's sitting on a pile and he's, he's lancing the boils on his body and his wife turns to him and says, why don't you just curse God and die? You know, why don't you just give up? Why don't you just quit? It's just too hard. Why don't you just quit? Just get over and die because there's no pain once you're dead, you know? And and Job has this, his, his focus is still on God. If he slay me, I'm not going to kill me, but if he slay me, yet will I praise him. He did not shift his focus from the giver. He wasn't interested in the gifts. Everybody says, I've done something wrong. That's why this is bad. Bad stuff's happening to you. He's just looking at it and saying, I love you, you know, I, and I still love you. Even though bad stuff is all around me, I still love you, God. I will still praise you. I will not shift my focus. See, perseverance is about where you're looking. You're looking at the stuff you don't have, of course you're going to be upset. If you're looking at him, who is the source of all that you have, He's going to fill you with nourishment and refreshment. Even though you are broken and bleeding, he will fill you with it, his love and his goodness. Habakkuk tells us this. Habakkuk is a lovely little prophet who, who, who's written a minor prophet, and, and you'll get him just after, or be after you know, Isaiah and Jeremiah, and these, you get this, the minor prophets in the Old Testament. Habakkuk says this in chapter 3, verses 16 to 19. <clears throat> And he's in a situation that's not, it's looking pretty grim. Things are not the way he'd very much like them to be. There's a calamity around him and uh, the enemies are coming against the children of Israel. There's been a bad drought. Everything's been cut off. So things are pretty grim. This is what he writes. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come upon the inv those invading us. So he's sitting there. The ones who are invading him, and they're still... And he's believing God's going to stop them. Now, obviously, he's, you know, what, can I, what can I do? An army is coming against us. What can I do? He's, I'm quivering. I'm shaking. I'm, uh, my, I, I'm trembling here. I, is, this, is, is this the end of me? I, I don't know. I'm waiting patiently for God to, to stop that army coming. Then I like what he, what he says next because it shows you the focus of this man. He says, so the fig tree does not bud. That means there's no, there's no flowers coming on the fig tree, which means what? In a short time, there are no figs. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vine. So if there's no grapes on the vine, what does that mean? It means there's no wine to drink. There's no fruit to eat. Uh, this is difficult times. No figs and no, no vine, no grapes on the vine. And the olive crop fails. So I say, we, at least we could suck on olives, you know. No, no olives on the olive tree. No olive oil to cook with. No olives to eat. The olive crop fails and the field produces no food. Well, it's looking even grimmer still because there's no crops in the field now. You're just sitting there and it's all barren. Everything's barren around you. Though there are no sheep in the pen... And no cattle's in the storm, in the stall. So there's no cattle in the stall. There's no livestock. There's no milk. There's nothing. 
Now, at that point of time, I would be sitting there saying, I've got a bit of a protest here. A few of, a few of us have got together and we're going to have a time of prayer and fasting and we're going to let you know, God, what we think about you because of your care and attention to us, your chosen people. Well, we're going to just let us, we're going to belly it out before you. We're going to let you know we don't agree with what you're doing here, God. We don't agree with the way you're treating us. We're your this is the way you cheat your chosen people. What are you going to do to the people who aren't chosen? Oh, boy, how unfair is this? But he doesn't say that. Habakkuk doesn't say that. You know what he says? And I love this. This is beautiful. He says... Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes in the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stills, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. He says, I have the stability of a mountain goat. I can get up a sheer cliff because I've got stability because God is my rock and he's the one who's going to help me. He says, everything looks grim. Everything, but my focus is not on what I got. It's on him. Him. That's he's the one. And he didn't shift. You know, the devil gets us every time. He says, just take your vision of God. Watch a little bit more TV and then just get disgruntled where you're living. You haven't got enough. You know, covered, you know, what, you, what your neighbor's got. Look at what's happening around you. Look at what they're getting and you're not having anything. And then, you, and then just let that build a little bit longer. Let it get deep down into your bones and start to become bitter inside and envious inside and angry inside. And you start talking, oh, you remember? and you start hating people who got something that you got not. And you're thinking, God, this is unfair. You're so unfair. And you badmouth God. You forsake God and you try and get it for yourself. See, perseverance is about focusing, keeping your focus in God. And why should we be waiting on the Lord? Because God is God. And he's able to do what he's able to do. Keep him in the centre because he's God. He lives outside your time. Man starts and he dies two, three score years and ten, and that's about as much as you get. If you're going a bit further than that, you're done well. You get your time, and then it's over. And the Bible describes man's life as a vapour. James says this life is but a vapour. Uh, if you lived in eternity, you would understand what a vapour is. It's here and gone. And we, we live in time and we, we drudge through the years of our life, you know, getting through and we get older as we go along. And I look at Dad and his white hair and I remember when he was like me with my grey sides, you know. I remember when he sat in his office doing what I do when I sit in my office. And I, and I think, you know, how, far, how fast time flies. Just gone. And we... And, you know, and it's true, God in his position looks at us and it's just a flicker. Our life, here and gone. From God's perspective, here and gone. I remember my grandmother when she used to sit there. I remember eating the grapes from my grandmother's grapevine in New Zealand. I got a grapevine growing at the back of my place that has the same flavoured grapes there. God is God and he will do what he does. You know, just trust him. Time is so temporal, it's so small, it's, so inf in it's just a vapour life. It's my, you might be struggling today, but in a little while, it'll all be over. In a little while, it'll be finished. In a little while, you'll have, you'll have run your course. In a little while, you'll be standing face to face with him. In a little while, eternity will have come upon you. In a little while from now, in a little while, just hang in there, keep your eye on him. You see, the devil says, take your arm and put it, put it on everything else around you. Why can't I have what I want now? Says, Stop it. Stop it. You've got everything you need. Just keep your eye on him. Keep your eye on him. He will fix it up. He can fix it up. He can fix it up in an instant. He can let it run your whole life and then fix it up at the end. He will fix it up in the end, though. It will all be fixed up in the end. Don't worry about that. He is God. He will do what he, he will do. And Psalm 6 verses 1 to 2 says, Truly my soul silently waits for God, 
From him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense and I shall not be greatly moved. He is the center. He is the core. He is the issue, you know. And I love what it says in Isaiah. You know, when we let God do what he wants to do, this is what God said he wants to do. He said of Jesus, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is now on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. So God wants to tell you something good. Good news. In your poor situation, he comes to tell you good news. That doesn't mean he's going to necessarily change it from where you are. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives, and to release from darkness to the prisoners, darkness from, for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. Now, I, I, I think about Paul and Silas, you know. They're following Jesus. You know, they're doing Jesus' work now. They left their life of sin. They come and they're now the missionaries. The missionaries, they go out to a place called Philippi. They start talking uh, about the Lord there. They go down and pray and there's a demonic girl who starts saying, he's a man of God and they come to preach the word of God. You find this in Acts chapter 16. And, they, and, 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 and Paul lets it go for a while and looks and says, oh, this is too much, this is demonic. And he casts the demon out of this girl. And of course, they bragged them to, because this girl used to bring lots of money for the guys who were pagans in the area, you know, through her divination. And so they dragged them to the courts, and the courts say, well, this is wrong, you know, you've just broken our business hub up here. So they take Paul and Silas, and they put him in stocks. Now, that was against the law because Silas, probably for Silas, he could have got beaten up, but for Paul, it was against the law because Paul was a Roman citizen. Probably Paul took the beating because Silas was going to take it, so well, I'll take it with him. And they laid many strokes upon them. My God, you know, what he laid? Whoa, oh, that hurt. Oh, didn't tickle some. They laid many stripes upon them so that they were, their whole backs were, 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 were beaten with rods. They were whipped with a cane. And then they put them in stocks. And the Bible tells us in, in Acts chapter 16 that in, when they were in the stocks, they're sitting there in the stocks now, they had just been beaten up for their faith, you know. God, why aren't you protecting them? Why aren't you looking after them? Why aren't you keeping them from the evil one? Why do you let them get beaten up? It's not fair. Then in the stocks, they look up and they're not complaining. God, why do you do this to us? They start to sing hymns. They start to praise God. Oh, you beware on the winning side. Don't look like it. And all the other prisoners are sitting around watching. In the midnight hour, when the sun's gone out and it looks pretty grim, they're singing hymns and praising God for who he is in their midnight trouble. The focus is there. <laughs> you know what? And God says, let me fix it. Boom. And he shakes the place. And all the bonds are broken. They're loosed. The Filipino jailer comes in. He sees the, the prisoners are free. The doors are open. He pulls out his sword. He's going to kill himself because it's easier to die by his own hand than to die by the guys who are going to find them later. And Paul says, stop. Don't, don't, don't hurt yourself. We're still here. And then he ministers to him and gets another soul saved for Jesus, you know. Gets another family, sets up another church. The basis for the book of Philippians is laid down there. You can read the book of Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Get your focus in on Jesus. Let God do what God can do. It's in those difficult times when you get to the point where you say, I just can't take it anymore. I can't take it anymore. I'm going to quit. And you walk out to quit. If you would just change your focus and go back to Jesus and get a renewed focus from Jesus, at that midnight hour, God could do something on the other side. You can't even, you just don't, you just don't wait long enough. You quit. You quit before the, the promises. It might be just there and you stopped. Because you took your eyes off him. Listen to what he says. You know, he says, to proclaim the year of the Lord, the, fa the favor and the, and the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes the oil of joy instead of mourning, and the garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. Look, nowhere do I read that he's going to make everything, fix it all up, make it all right, so it feels nice. In fact, when I read the book of Hebrews and I read the, the, the chapter, chapter 11, which is the book of faith, I find that some were triumphant. Some 
conquered kingdoms and some were raised from the dead and some really came through mightily and then others did not get through. They were sawn in half or sawn in two and they were around in sheep's clothing, were hungry and destitute, were locked in jail and died there. You see, when he says that he's going to give you a spirit of joy instead of a spirit of mourning, he didn't say that he was necessarily going to change the situation around you. He's going to change your focus in the situation and give you something more. And why? This is why he says, they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of whose splendor? His splendor. For us, we are in those situations to incarnate Christ. Those situations are there for us to reflect God's glory. We will be trees of righteousness, the planting of God. He put us in the situation which is despairing. He put us in a situation that is sad. He puts us in a situation that is painful. He put us in a situation that has no hope in it. And we look at it and there's nothing. And he says that you would be a tree of righteousness to display his splendor. That you begin to look like Jesus in the midst of that thing. Hanging on the cross, blood dripping from every vein in his body and every cut there. He looks down and he displays the heart of God. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. We look for an ease of the pain. Jesus says, don't bother looking for making it easy. Keep your eyes on God. So why should we wait on the Lord? Because we are who we are and we know what we can't do, you know, the things that we are not able to do. Proverbs says, there's a way that seems right unto man, but the end is death. You cannot fix the situation. You can't heal yourself. You can speak good words over your life as much as you cannot heal yourself. You need God to do that. You can't make your spouse turn to Jesus. You can pray for them and pray for them. In the end, they can not turn because you will them to turn. They turn because they have an encounter with Jesus. You cannot, you have no power to do that. Jesus can't even make you change your mind if you choose not to. He will extend grace to you and if you choose to reject that grace, you reject it. You can't do anything about the circumstances. You can, you can fix up certain things, but there are things that you cannot do anything about. And when they are there in front of you and you can't do anything about it, you just need to throw yourself back into Jesus and look at Jesus and say, keep my eye on you, Lord, because I can't do anything about this. This one is too big for me. When you know it's too big for you, you trust Jesus. The word wait is an interesting word. And, and in the, in the uh, Old Testament, we, we have the word uh, wait, and it means, this one word, it says uh, quava, and it means to bind together, perhaps by twisting strands in a rope. So the idea of, you see here, you have cord and it's sort of twisted. You see how it's twisted. Now, if I were to twist, I'm not going to do it too much, but if, you, if I was to twist that, really, it becomes more rigid. The more I twist it, the more rigid it becomes. So if I twist it quite, it becomes so rigid, I, it gets strength from being twisted together. So oftentimes, we lose the strength of our lives because we are not twisted with God. And waiting on God, the word wait means to bind together, to look patiently for, to hope for and expect for eagerly. So that waiting means that we're going to exchange our strength for his strength. Our weakness for his strength. We come to God and we in a situation that's bad, we wait on him. We say, Lord, I'm completely depleted of strength now, but I'm coming to you so that I can twist my life with you. And Paul found this. I prayed. He asked God three times, will you take this thing from my life? This demon that's in my flesh that's causing me great affliction. Three times I asked God to take this thing from me. Three times. I, he couldn't do it. There was something in his life that was a thorn in his flesh. And that's the debate. People have debate over what that is. But there was something that was causing him so much pain. And it was a, a vexation to him. And he, three times he goes to God and said, God, God, take this from me, this demonic thing from me. And you know, God says, nah. Nah. 
He says, you've been to the third heaven, so you know what you're coming. So you're going to get proud if I take you. I'm, I'll leave that with you just to make you small and to make you weak. And then he says, but my strength is perfected in your weakness. So Paul, when he was weak, he say, when I'm weak, then I am strong. Why? Because it was when he'd reached the end of himself, he just threw himself headlong into Almighty Father God and Father God took him the rest of the way. When he was weakest, it was no longer him, it's Christ who lives in me. When he reached the end of himself, Jesus would kick in and say, come on, buddy, let's go the distance. And Jesus would make, when you get the end of yourself, what are you saying? You say, I had enough now, I'm going to quit now. Or do you go and wait with God and entwine yourself with God, twist yourself up with God, spend so much time with God and loving Jesus so at the end of the exercise you come out and say, I got strength on the inside. Not my strength, but His strength. He's made me whole. It's your focus. It's your focus. Waiting sustains and satisfies and allows God to do that in our lives. I like Psalm, I like Psalm 16. I'm going to read it to you. Psalm 16 verses 1 to 11. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my, my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. You notice the focus is on God and he reckons nothing else is important. I say to the holy people who are in the land, they... I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. So he's making a conscious effort right there. I'm not going to pursue something else. The temptation is to run after that, but I'm not going to run after that, he says. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. He says, I am locked in now with you, Jesus, and I'm quite happy about that. It might not be nice where I'm sitting, but I'm happy that I'm locked in with you, Jesus. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. He looks past the death and looks past into the future. My, my future in you is beautiful. Once this vapor of time is over, I'm with you. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. And so he lays there. And when he wakes at night time and he begins to start to ruminate over the stuff that happens, his heart counsels him. He looks to God and God speaks to him and says, you know what? Get your focus right. Keep your focus right. So in the night watches, when he's, when he's there and he wakes up and he starts, you can do a lot of damage at night time just laying and thinking about stuff. When you wake up and you're woken up because the situations about you are grim, you can just lay there and you can start to badmouth God and badmouth everybody. Or you can start to think about God and let God instruct you by His Spirit and tell you, hey, hang in there. It's all right. You're going to come through it. I've got everything in control. Sovereign God is in control. Trust me, trust me, trust me. He says, therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure. Why? Because I can sit back and say, it's okay. I know that there's no figs on the vine. I don't know there's no vines there. I know there's no sheep or cattle. I know it's all glim. I know that the army is coming. But listen, guess what? Even if they kill me, I'm with Jesus. It's okay. He says... Uh, you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. You know, this is it. Time is temporal. Eternity is coming, and you won't even think about this place any longer. Your release is about to come to you just hang in there and why should you wait on the lord because wait strengthens and enables you and i like these passages in isaiah 40 verses 27 to 31 why do you say O jacob and speak O israel my way is hidden from the lord and my just claim is passed over by god here's the person who's waiting for something god why aren't you answering me this is my just cause why have you passed over me person struggling with perseverance. And, the, and the Isaiah says, Have you not known and have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, of the, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faint nor is weary. 
His understanding is unsearchable. So God is not faint, nor is he weary. And he understands what's going on. You can't see it all. You'll find out what you see, but he doesn't. He said he gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall, but those who wait on the Lord. What are you waiting for? You're waiting for your promise, the gift, or you're waiting on the Lord. Are you waiting for the answer or are you waiting on the Lord? Are you waiting for your dream girl to come in or are you waiting on the Lord? Are you waiting for your husband to be converted or are you waiting on the Lord? What are you waiting on? What's your focus in? He says, The young men shall utterly fall, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings of eagle, which, which has this idea that the storm is brewing and the eagle just spreads its wings. It's not an, not an effort for an eagle. Spreads its wings. The thermals go round. You know, the, the hot air rises. It's going up. It's sucking everything up. They just spread their wings. They don't flap. When they get on a thermal, they just spread their wings. And the spirit, the wind, takes them up and up and up. And up until they are above the storm. They're way, way above the storm. The storm is beneath them. <laughs> beneath them. But they are fixed on wings of eagles. Not straight. I can't keep this up all the time. That's the crow. That's the crow that tries to follow the, follow the eagle. You seen the crow following the eagle? Flap, 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 flap. The eagle's standing there just going up. The, flow, the crow, crow is, I saw it in my backyard. The crow is chasing the eagle to get it away from its young, you know? And the eagle's just soaring up. It, it's flapping, 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 flapping. The, the eagle goes higher and higher and higher. And the crow, crow can't keep it up. Can't keep on flapping. The devil can't keep chasing you when you are on the wings of eagles. When you're with Jesus and you're soaring with him, the devil can't get up there. He can't stay up there. He closes his wings and plummets to the ground. You're somewhere where you're untouchable when you're waiting in the Lord. They will rise on wings of eagles. They shall mount on wings of eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. It's about your focus, friends. Why should we wait on the Lord? Because of who God is and what he is able to do. Because of who we are and what we cannot do. Waiting sustains and satisfies us. It allows God to do what he wants and it strengthens us. Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that we will not grow weary in our faith. Listen, may it be said of us that will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that his, for the display of his splendor. Let your waiting in the time of the desert be a time of waiting on God. Let your focus be focused in on Jesus. Don't put the gift in the giver's place. Shift it back. Back onto Jesus. Let Jesus shine his light in you and shine your light out to everybody else around you so that people see in the midst of your hardship, you're a tree planted by God. The righteousness of his life comes out for his splendor, for his glory. You're incarnating Christ in your difficult times. Amen? Okay. Yeah, I say, okay, whatever you want to give me, God, you give it to me. I'm not worrying about that. I'm just looking at you. Daddy, you going to give me a gift? Thanks. But you're my daddy. Uh, is God interested about whether you focus on the gift of the giver? Is that important to God? Uh, let me tell you, just, I'll just stretch it a little bit. In, in, in Genesis chapter 12, not chapter 12, chapter 22, I think it is. Uh, God says to Abraham, take the gift, the son, which is born to you, and offer it as an offering. And the Bible says he tested him, asking him that. So Abraham immediately got up the gift, which was the son, the chosen son. He bundles them up and he heads off to the mountain to offer a sacrifice because he's going to offer up the sacrifice. 
He got it. That, this is important to God. This is not, I'm just not talking out of the top of my head. God is interested in where your focus is. He said to Abraham, where's your focus, buddy? Let me see where your focus is. I mean, he knew what was going to happen. Did Abraham, I don't know, Abraham said, you know, you're it, God, you're it for me. I waited 25 years for the son. You want me to kill him now? Okay. This is strange. I mean, God, sovereign God asked me child sacrifice. Odd, strange, weird, wrong, in every sense of the word wrong. Yeah. You, I mean, he, Abraham would have gone through, this is, this is wrong, God. I mean, I could step back and say, God, you're wrong. I mean, you're, you're wrong. Thou shalt not kill. You're wrong. But you know, Abraham didn't even do that. He just stopped and said, okay, because I know you, I love you, and I trust you. And to his son, the son says, where's the, where's the, where's the, where's the sheep? There, we've got the wood, we've got the cattle. We got the, man says, where's the sheep? Where's the sheep for the offering? Abraham says, oh, God will supply. God will supply. God will supply. He gets him up to the top of the hill and there's nothing supplied. He, he says, well, I've got to go through with this now. And he winds him up. He puts him on top of the thing. He lifts up. the. He's there. He's got the knife. He's there. The son's looking. You've got to be joking. He's there. He's ready to plunge it into his, his son's to kill him. And an angel from the Lord cries from the heavens and says, stop. Stop. I see now where your heart is. You see, friends, this is it. It's not the gift. It's the giver. God supplied a sheep in the, in the thickets. He went over and got it and sacrificed that. He says, my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glories. It doesn't matter what you're going through, friends. Keep your eyes on the giver. He will supply all your needs. He's better than everything you have. And if you die tomorrow... Woohoo! You got eternal life with him. Amen? Let's praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Let's stand, shall we? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you want us to persevere. Lord, we thank you that in this in this word we have an answer to a lot of the pain that we're feeling. Lord, we oftentimes go through life and we struggle with the things that are around us. Lord Jesus, they are difficult to handle and are difficult to, to persist with, Father, difficult to, difficult to persevere under, Father. And the situations are painful for us, Father. I'm, we know that you know that, Lord. But Lord, when our focus is shifted from you and onto that, it becomes even more painful. So we ask you to help us, Lord Jesus, to lift our gaze, to consider him, who endured such affliction, Lord, to look at you and to say, Lord Jesus, help us to keep our eyes on you. Lord, that we would gravitate to you in the time of pain, that we would draw from you in the time of pain, that would drink of your nourishment and your refreshment, Lord, and that we would rise up above those situations on the wings of eagles, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. God bless you.